Hi, and welcome to Song Divers, an interview podcast about singer-songwriters. We like to go deep in conversation with our favorite musicians in search of honest answers. What are the ingredients of a great song? What makes a songwriter tick? Can a musician make a living these days? Is Jason Isbell overrated? What? My name is Stefan. And this is Ed. And this is a special episode for us. Our first Grammy nominee and one of my personal favorites. Greetings, everyone. My name is Andrew Duhon. had been born a boy instead of a girl, raised in Louisiana instead of Texas, a guitarist instead of a pianist, and grew up to have a Chuck Norris caliber beard, you would have Andrew Duhon. Andrew has a voice and guitar styling that are both rich with influence, but so masterfully his own, and his songwriting is second to none. His second album, The Moorings, saw a Grammy nomination, and his 2018 release, False River, may be one of the best front-to-back albums I've ever heard. words and conversation resonate almost as much as they do in his songs. We were gratefully stopped by the studio and shared so much. We think you will be too. So Andrew, we usually start everybody with, uh, tell us about where you're from. Where'd you grow up? I uh, grew up in Metairie, which is the suburb just outside of New Orleans. I live in mid-city New Orleans these days. And uh, home, you know, childhood home is only about five, ten minutes away. Um... But yeah, you know, the pretty standard suburb life, rode around the bicycle to the park, played baseball, you know, that was the thing. I do know. Mm-hmm. What, what position? <laughs> I was a crafty lefty pitcher. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so... But you don't play lefty. That is true. Uh, I learned my lesson playing baseball and going to the shop and seeing all the gloves that are for righties, you know, and then you you got two... <laughs> gloves you can pick from at the bottom of the rack as a lefty uh you know so maybe it 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 serves to be a left-handed pitcher but you know I think I just made one call to a guitar shop when I was thinking about playing guitar and some guy uh some hippie you know I asked do I need to play guitar left-handed and he was just like no man you know I think I think you could play it either way man <laughs> And that I I don't know who he was, but I just have to thank him so much because now I can walk into a guitar shop and see these guitars and I can play them all, you know, yeah. which is really lovely. Yeah, there's well, a- Randy, if you're out there, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and did you grow up? Are you you an only child? Do you have siblings? Yeah, I have an older sister. Um, she musical also. She's not. Um, I think the only music I remember being 
created by my family was my mother uh, would play piano. But you're not thinking of it right when you're picturing it right now. It's uh, She would play the Dances with Wolves theme song, <laughs> which is lovely. Uh, but she didn't, she either was not, she didn't get there to have the concept of time uh, as part of her musical creation. So it would kind of be, she could read the music, but sort of at a kindergarten reading level sort of thing. So she would, she would play a few beautiful chords and then she would stop and stare at the notes and then play it again. So kind of like bling, blong. You know, that sort of thing. And i that's the only music I remember being created. My dad couldn't dance very well, and that was kind of the extent. But my dad did play uh, country music in the van, the uh, Dodge Caravan Burgundy with the wood paneling on the sides. You know the one. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just remember those songs being little little stories and uh that's probably my my first memory of music being important any artist particularly Hmm. Um, at that time at least right i don't know if i was getting it down to the artist but i remember you know the tunes that they were playing were were garth brooks and Mm -hmm. alan jackson and george Strait and all those guys in the you know the 90s country scene and how old are you now? Just to give people reference to time period of that time. Sure, I'm 33 now. Okay. Mm. And then, so in terms of you first really starting to want to play, like when did you when did you pick up guitar? When did you start mm. getting musical? I'm assuming guitar is your first instrument. Yep. Uh, well, I guess my mother sent us to piano lessons as kids, but we mutinied uh, after a few weeks. Um. I, I was playing baseball in high school, and uh, that was important to me. And I thought I'd go to a small college to, you know, throw the ball and figure everything else out. But uh, uh, the old shoulder started to hurt, and I went to a physical therapist who, who, who laid me down real gentle. He said, you know, Andrew, pro athletes, they have two things. They have drive, and they have a specimen body. You have the drive. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that was the beginning of realizing that I would need a new hobby in college. And uh, but but I thought, you know, guitar was something that I was interested in getting into. So somewhere in high school where um, baseball became less probable, I started playing some uh, some guitar, just picking it up. And I got adept enough, I suppose, to play a song or two in high school. Um and that was, let's see. So there was campus ministry. Did you guys have that? We had it. Mm-hmm. So there was a campus ministry night, and I went to a Catholic uh, high school. And uh, I remember I I, uh, I wrote much like the Hanukkah song, Adam Sandler, right? Uh, I wrote the Catholic song. <laughs> oh boy! Just you know, try to find some famous Catholics. I thought. I thought uh, that would be fun. There's plenty of famous ones now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, sorry, infamous. Uh huh, uh huh. Yeah, so I uh, I played that song. Really struggled through the chords. Somehow got through it because you know I was still doing the thing where I didn't know how to change. I you know my fingers weren't ready to change from chord to chord. But but I got through it as my kind of my first performance, and all the kids got up and clapped for me like a standing ovation on my first live performance. So 
it's their fault, really. So what was what was the impetus for, for picking up the instrument at that time? Were you just thinking, this is cool, it's something my friends will dig? Yeah, People right. are into music now, and I'm starting to listen mm-hmm. to stuff, and it resonates, or I'm an emotional teenager and mm-hmm. uh, you know emotionally insane, mm-hmm. uh, trying to pick up girls. Okay, right. So you lose baseball, you pick up the guitar. Obviously, there's a girl element there. You know, you're not going to have baseball in college. You'll need something else besides social skills. Um, no, but I, I, I think originally it was more of a hobby idea. Uh, I didn't realize that I wanted to have an artistic voice until uh, a, a teacher who I would still claim was was my favorite educator. Uh, that I had through high school or college, Mr. Rosso in, in, uh, you know, the honors English classes. He, uh, he had us read an essay by, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson called self-reliance. And, uh, there was a line in in that, that I think introduced me to my artistic will and just like set me on the path. The line was, uh, to believe that what is true for you in your own private heart is true for every man that is genius you know this idea that um that that you may well search the ends of the earth for for whatever it is that you're seeking but but what you're really doing is just changing everything on the outside to figure out what's on the inside and and once you reap that that thing if you can if you can find what it is that you have to say you will resonate with everyone you know there's a there's a common thread there that you're looking for and it's inside you know so that was eye-opening and then uh just about then it was it was bob dylan you know went to barnes and noble and bought the bob dylan three-pack cds and one of those cds was uh uh the freewheeling bob dylan and that was that was super important i think to just hear a voice it just felt like it was so concise to me it was like this this soul is speaking his truth, and it just made sense, you know, in its own way, in its freewheeling way. Yeah, that worked for me. So, so then it, the, this guitar playing thing became about, you know, do I have something to say? And uh, and that's that remains the question, you know. So, you're what seventeen, eighteen when you when you read that, and mm-hmm. you're affected by it. Yep, yep, let's see. And that was, was that pre or post your uh, Catholic debut? That would have been, that would have been simultaneous okay. uh, about the same time that we, you know, that was high school where I was uh, listening to the Dylan stuff and from that finding out about the Greenwich Village thing and then hearing the, those folks, Dave Van Rock was powerful. Um and then it was Delta Blues stuff. And mm-hmm. then kind of hearing this music that felt greater than the sum of its parts and starting, not not understanding initially, but starting to understand that the experience that they're putting into these simple songs, you know, simple lines, um, it takes the, the experience to create the content, you know, and, and to be able to sing like that. Um, and I don't... I wasn't putting that together, but I was recognizing there was something there that was greater than the sum of the parts that I could recognize. And it, I think it's, it's interesting you, you say about that piece. You know, I'm, I'm curious about you know you, you have a very specific voice now, and there's a lot of New Orleans flavor in what you're doing. There's a lot of Delta in what you're doing. Um, hmm. It's specific to you, 
but I haven't heard you really mention much of that. And, you know, you're Dylan and country and, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, mm-hmm. what were you modeling your voice after when you first did that first song? And then Man. were you listening to stuff or was it just kind of whatever came out? Yeah, I don't know if I was modeling the voice or I, I'm, I'm hoping that these days I'm not. I don't know. I I don't know that I'm trying to sing to sound like somebody. I know that when I started my sister, I could hear my sister laughing in the kitchen when I was starting to sing, you know, the tune. So it's not like it just came to me, but eventually you find your voice literally and figuratively, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to, I think, I think it's like you start and you're, you're just a paper mache of your heroes and you're, you're mimicking those things. So in the beginning I was, you know, these big shards of Dylan and and Mississippi John Hurt and uh, Snooks Eaglin as a New Orleans guy that uh, was important and and you're just these big shards of likenesses of them and it's kind of obvious uh, and the more you work at it and the more you do it then the shards become smaller until it's almost like a pixelated image that you can make out and then the more inspiring things and the more pieces you pick up it's uh the picture becomes more in focus until you're until you you find out find a voice and and i think that's that continues on it still feels like that to me i still feel like there are elements that are just derived from the things that are inspiring me quite directly uh i don't remember who said it but that idea that uh the the masters just know how to hide their influences right sort of thing mm-hmm. and uh so it's it, it's still it's all still in there you know um but it's just one of those you know obama pictures that is just tiny little pictures of obama right. you know that one? yeah <laughs> that sort of thing yeah. i guess that's interesting that you you said you hear a lot of new orleans in his voice and, and in his music because to me I almost thought the opposite. Like, I think to the casual listener that's not really plugged into the scene in New Orleans, you know, the the first thing I think of is jazz and Mm -hmm. Zydeco and, Mm -hmm. you know, Clifton Chenier and Mm -hmm. and second line, you know, party music and and all that. So I'm kind of interested to know what the scene is really like there Mm -hmm. because are there a a, a strong singer-songwriter kind of thing going on there or... I imagine there's a singer-songwriter thing going on anywhere that you look for it, and I'd say the same about New Orleans, but I think you're you're hitting on a, an interesting topic, the fact that I was uh, growing up in this city not really knowing how special it was until I started to walk around and, and uh, uh, with a guitar on my back and go to open mics and stay out too late and... Uh, you know the music that i'm making it doesn't fit on the tourist postcard you know i'm i'm not going to make a living just playing every thursday on frenchman street but but there is something that i'm really thankful for and fortunate to have grown up and been inspired by that place i think there's an osmosis into all art that's happening down there every artist is being uh, infused with the soul of that place, it breathes, it moves. It, you can feel it in the sidewalk. You can see it. You can, uh, yeah, you can. You know, um, and uh, I, that's that's a lovely element. And it works when you go to the UK and you put New Orleans songwriter on your tour poster. Uh, people like to rock up for that. But mm-hmm. but I think in the states, it's just an extra element that makes me proud of where I'm from. But you know, but I'm not. 
I'm not necessarily, I wouldn't define myself as making New Orleans music. I'm just a songwriter who happens to be from a beautiful city. Some of it may be priming for me too, because I, in for a while, I've known you're from there. Um, but you know, songs like on your you know street fair and your current mm-hmm. record, like that right. to me, like yes. I just yeah. you know hear yeah. outdoor New Orleans sure. festival, yeah. you know, totally. The we were making the record and uh, Raylan Baxter was hanging out in the the backyard a bunch and he he sang a bunch of background uh, vocals on the record and like that guy's voice is such an instrument, it's amazing. Um, he, I really love his stuff and his his latest record is killer. But it's very good. I remember he was out there and you know he's just. He and Eric Massey, the producer, are really good buddies. And, you know, he's just jamming to the tunes and hanging out. And that's what he's doing on these days that we happen to be recording. And, and he hears the playback of Street Fair. And he's been pretty quiet. You know, we're just exchanging this and that. But when Street Fair comes on, he's like, oh, man, there it is. There it is. <laughs> yeah, there's the New Orleans, you know. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's it. I, that that's That feels like the right feeling, I hope. You know, you're always on the inside looking in when it's your tunes. You can't, you're just a mannequin that can't really see what they're wearing. But, uh, but, but I, I liked his reaction. I think Street Fair has the, the New Orleans vibe. Right. And I appreciate that he was tickled in the way where, you know, it's like, oh, you know, that's, that's a very discernible New Orleans nugget, you know, but that not all of them are. And that I, I don't ever feel the need to sing about, red beans and rice or something right. but it's important and the world doesn't feel the need to hear another song yeah then don't listen to my records <laughs> certainly but but then on the same token you know i'm i am starting to wonder as i'm getting older and having more confidence about you know my voice uh in a in a writing sense i i do want to figure out the element of the folk music what is it that i know about the place that i'm from that i have to say that might resonate not only with my local brethren but is that piece that you capture as a songwriter that might not get captured otherwise or in that light from that angle Mm -hmm. uh then those are those are some of the most important tunes i think that we can write and then there's all the sad she's leaving songs that uh you get to those are the ones yeah (laughs) So, yeah, so we should mention, too, that, you know, you just performed here with Lydia Luce, uh, who's actually going to be on the show right after you, um, at uh, Ruth Eckert Hall's Murray Theater here. Um, and Ed and I went to the show. You were excellent. Everybody that came with us was thrilled. Awesome. Um, which I had talked up a lot, too, so I'm glad you performed so well. So thanks for that. You got it. Anytime. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, but you talked about in that show a lot of the sad bastard writing. So I, I'm curious, what you know, other than the uh, the what I'll call a parody song, uh, what was your first real serious if that's the right word song that you wrote do you remember mm. i think it was too late i think it was the first serious song and and that's the first song on the first record i made you know it just happened that way but um it was about i was i was uh it was a character story it wasn't me but it was uh something happening to someone who was uh in a tougher way I think I was recognizing my position in society, uh, privileged lad, and seeing that. I think the idea was, the concept was, if I wasn't so privileged, I might have had to figure my shit out quicker. And I have time when other people might figure it out, but it's just, it's a little too late to have figured it out. They didn't have enough buffer, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, you know, that's one one very 
simple way to look at you know the very a very complicated topic but uh that's and that's that's amazing to me because i i did i was so inexperienced with everything uh and yet people still tell me about how they like that song and i think you just you're just throwing darts and sometimes it lands somewhere that that resonates and you you can you can be proud of that but you can also be humble enough to admit that you were just throwing darts you know yeah, but even so, I think there's, even that early on, I think there's a germ of a theme that's there, and it's the way you look at the world, and that's kind of what's coming through in all, in all the ways you're trying to express yourself. A germ is exactly what I was. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's right. I think, I, you know, you, your intent bleeds its way into your, what you're, writing i think and i i see it i i recognize in me even when i'm writing a journal i realize you know buddy are you are you writing something so that when somebody reads it they feel a certain way or so that it it would sound good if you reposted it or took a picture of it and put it on instagram or something or are you putting down on this page what what is your innermost you know, reality right now, you know, mm-hmm. and if you're not doing that, try doing that, you know, <laughs> yeah. See, and, and then if it's helpful, just know that you're going to burn this page right after you write it, <laughs> you know, it's something like that. Yeah. And, uh, you're pretty faithful journal writer. Uh, or like, it comes and it goes. I think it's uh, hard on the road sometimes. Like, sure. Yep. Um, I, I th- I'm I'm more of a morning person than the band, so I usually have an hour or two before they're up. But it is hard uh, to to not tackle the the tour manager sort of it admin stuff, uh, get that out of the way. And by the time that just it that's never ending, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think I think I'm so just to be clear, like you're doing your own, yeah, your leg, leg work and uh-huh. organizational stuff, right? We have an agent, but once we're on the road, it's it's me, and I don't. Right. I, I honestly don't mind that. Uh, we've had some management in the past, and that's fine. But you can only ask so much, I think, of someone who's not there with you all the time and has been for mm-hmm. a long time. And you know, I can I can handle that stuff, but. I think balance is is the the achievable word at this point. I need to realize that I've been knocking these little rolls out every single morning in the hotel lobby while waiting for the band to get up. Mm-hmm. Usually, actually, the hotels we stay in have a pretty shitty lobby, but <laughs> yeah. I find a place, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but it, it's not like it's making everything... It's going to be okay if I don't take care of those things, and so... I've been getting to the journals or writing a postcard, just something, mm-hmm. uh, pushing the pen around. And, and I think I, I've been encouraged by feeling like I have nothing to say and just making sure I fill a page. And then by the time you get to the end of it, you underline something like, hmm, that's a little element. And I think... Does some I, of it find its way into your mm-hmm. uh, songwriting? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think, I think it's kind of like a paper mache these days uh, where you, you are just reaping scraps uh, of of those those conscious streams, um, you know, just picking a rock up off of that that bank and putting it in your pocket, and uh, when you get back home, you spread the rocks out on the table, and you you wonder if they if any of them have some sort of common sediment. 
Oh, very nice. Uh, <laughs> still got it. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> so, so you mentioned having something to say in the progression of your writing. I mean, writing for what over ten years now, probably right. Sounds right. How much of what you're writing, I'd say consistently over that time, how much of it is, you know, first person, you know, uh, versus you're giving commentary on something you're seeing? How much of it is just, like you said, it's a rock you picked up and you want to go with that, so you're telling a story based on this fictional thing? Mm-hmm. Is it a paper mache of those things? And how much of what you're doing is cathartic, therapeutic? Like, you, are you a writer that you have some things you just need to get off your chest, or are you, mm. are you writing to relate? Um, well, I'll tell you that I'm, I think I've, I've lived a charmed life up until now and I'm, I'm glad because of the nature of recorded music to say that I can look back and not totally cringe at something that I thought I could be speaking about. Like I wasn't writing protest songs in college that I'd look back on and say, oh man, (laughs) You know that was misinformed. Yeah, not not to say that I don't I wouldn't cringe if I went and listened to some of the, you know the early songs, but uh, certainly I would. But um, but I suppose it's been important to me to make sure I'm speaking in turn about something. If I if I'm gonna you know it, I think it it was obvious to me that there was there was a, a there's a responsibility to deciding that you're going to write a song and perform it into amplification and expect that that's something people should hear. It just seems like so much. Like, why do, why are, why do I have a microphone? Look at all these people. What do they have to say? You know, why are we out in this stage area? Let's just go to that bar over there. We'll all have a whiskey and we'll talk about it Mm -hmm. and we'll all have something to say. But, uh, yeah. So I think it's always been, I've always taken some uh humility i think uh to make sure that if i if i was speaking that i was saying something i felt like i had something to say about but i think something to the 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 idea of we can all just go talk about that i think that that's true to an extent but but not because music is that that's why i think music is probably so important i'm curious what you think about this that not everybody can articulate it the same way and if you put the right words together with the right notes at the right time, like it allows everybody to sort of feel it and, you know, communicate in a way that they maybe couldn't articulate, but because of the set of tools that you ended up with, you're able to do it for them, you know, that they couldn't have sat there and told you or even know that they wanted to say to you, but then you, they heard your song and they're like, yes, mm-hmm. this guy gets it. Mm. Well, I don't know if I get it, but it's that thing where it's like the tools. Maybe I have a, a tool or something that's working. And I've been encouraged in that way. Um, I mean, you know, I remember art class as a kid when you, you're you taught, taught a, a bunch of different little disciplines and you pick up the pastels and then you try the paints and you ain't good at all of them. But maybe you figure out... Let's speak for yourself. <clears throat> right? <laughs> maybe you figure out, man, I'm, I'm actually kind of good at perspective here or something, whatever it is. Uh, and I think I, I've been, I have been encouraged in certain ways that there's some sort of filter that that um is getting at something that's that's coming through uh when i'm trying to write a song uh and and in that way when when i'm speaking on that idea you know making sure i'm not speaking out of turn or having something to say for me it's been um figuring out how to 
like what's what's this love thing partnership thing all about and why am i not good at it yet um why can't i be a partner the way that my partner is being a partner to me uh what's what's this thing we're calling a heart that uh is actually just a muscle right in that one right now actually don't mm-hmm. steal that it's that's nothing that's, that's just wait a minute yeah. slow down oh yeah. I've, yeah. yeah um <laughs> no but i think uh, it's called muscle memories y'all it's coming out real soon um, <laughs> yeah. um get it here yeah, yeah. no that, that one might hit the cutting room floor we'll see but uh you know for me well that that's it i think every song about longing or leaving was about the same woman and she had a heart of gold that has a heart of gold uh she's somewhere out there continue continues to have that heart of gold uh, but she certainly put a mirror on something that was was uh, was me which is on paper this is everything that i need and somehow this heart thing isn't turning over for me and there's some intangible element that is not meeting her halfway and i i have to write about it i have to figure that out study uh, it yeah and i i don't think i've figured it out but i i wrote a bunch of songs about it you know I think one of those songs is probably No Man's Land, right? I think if I was to pick one, uh, that was the kind of postcard, the last postcard that I I would send to her. That's the one, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you want to play that one, Andrew? No, thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's do All it. All right. Well, thanks for stopping by. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been real. Yeah, yeah. It's really good coffee. Thanks a lot, fellas. <laughs> yeah, man. If you want to roll that one. still see you and me settled down on a couple acres I see a foothill farm where a dog can run around and in my mind I'm out there picking them tomatoes but the rest of me just keeps rambling around storm of a love that's off and on I'll love you then I'm gone again I'm stuck somewhere in the Midwest Oklahoma is my best guess somewhere between holding out and holding out my hand in no man's land In no man's land and miles of placid ocean Mine is a rowboat that I drag through landlocked towns And I know deep down it's all constantly in motion But you know deep down you can't just keep waiting around 
best weather in the storm Of a love that's off and on again I love you then I'm gone again And again I'm stuck somewhere in the Midwest Oklahoma is my best guess Somewhere between not right now And if not now When in no man's lane In no man's lane If holding on only leaves us empty-handed I'd rather burn it down Than leave you stranded In no man's land In no man's land Very nice. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Actually, the 9 a.m. It was worth the wait. The 9 a.m. voice is working out just fine. Okay, great. Cool. Sounds great. So. Sometimes you just blindly throw darts, and then other times you hit kind of where you thought you were going, which is nice. So it doesn't always work that way. So I'm interested in a few things coming out, and just watching you play, too, because you're a great player. Thanks, dude. I mean, I don't know. We see a lot of players. so. Um, you know, for a guy that's not actually right-handed, I mean, especially. You know, <laughs> I tell you what, man. I mean, the dexterity, yeah. that left-handed dexterity. Why would I want my strumming hand to be my strong hand? Yeah. I totally. I don't know why you guys do it. Why don't so, you play the other way? <laughs> I, I, th- I don't know if I said this to Ed last night, but on multiple songs, I was like, the dexterity in that guy's pinky is unbelievable. You know, uh, that's funny. Um, Max, our, our drummer uh, of of previous years, would say that, and he's he's probably the best musician I've ever played with, and really knowledgeable about. Which is saying something because you know Miles and, and Jim, who you're touring with. Oh yeah, phenomenal. oh god, they're great. Yeah. D- totally, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I was just talking about that after the show with somebody last night. It's like there's always things that you're struggling with. You feel like you'll probably never get there, and you probably never will. There's always some element that you're toiling with. But the trio for the past five to six years i just feel like i'm shitting in high cotton Mm -hmm. playing with these guys and that's what there is nothing more encouraging to me than having a couple of guys who are so much more schooled in music and so much more knowledgeable about what it is we're technically doing Mm -hmm. uh to think that this is worthy enough to get in a van uh and traipse across america playing my songs that's that's encouraging you know? oh yeah i mean and validation it, from people you respect is just incredible. that's right. yeah. it really comes off the stage too cool it's it's obvious these guys are really invested in in the music and you guys are like a unit i mean you know that's great I'm, yeah. that's good i'm glad i'm glad that's how it feels well and it's they're adding this songs are great on their own you sure. know and they're they we could sit in the room listening all day but they're adding so much right. to like it's very much they are a part of it even though it's mm. your stuff and your front but yeah 
I mean, they are right there with you in it. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, mm-hmm. it's adding so much. Uh, well, I mean, those the first the, the original element of uh, what felt like my first real band, not just people playing parts around me, but mm-hmm. but playing these songs with me was Max Zamanovic and Miles Weeks. Miles still plays with us regularly. Max, uh, after making False River uh, uh, last year. Um, was uh, uh, scooped up by um, Miranda Lambert, so you got an oh, uh, okay. audition for her and got that gig. And honestly, Miles and I searched the pits of our uh, uh, dark jealousy or, or like you know feeling hurt about that somehow. But it's not no man. Like we're proud of Max. We you know we miss Max, but we love Max, and we're pumped that he has a great gig. And then so you lose you know this element of your trio, and you think okay, well. We'll play with him when we can play with him mm-hmm. uh, when Miranda Lambert's not touring, you know. But uh, what do we do now? Yeah. And uh, so our first call was to Jim because we, you know, he was in Lafayette and we had, uh, I had a Lafayette songwriting buddy who said, you know, Max, Max is one of my favorite drummers, but this other guy, Jim, is also one of my favorites. You should check him out. And just, you know, Jim has fallen right in line so, in such a beautiful way that I feel like it's a little unfair. Like my karma's coming after me somewhere else because, <laughs> cause I know I've been in that place where you're just looking for somebody to, like who gets it. And there's so many great players. And then you sit down and you play with them and it's just like, they're a great player. They're just somewhere else in what they're doing. And it's not connecting to play together. And, uh, but Jim wasn't that way. Jim, uh, Jim gets it, and Jim is paying yeah. attention to the words, and then Jim mm-hmm. sings like a bird. So now we have three oh, yeah. part harmonies. That's and, true. Yeah. And, and also, you could tell they were enjoying it. You know. Yeah. It, there's to, to Ed's point, being invested in the music, but especially because songwriting is such a vulnerable thing. Uh-huh. You know, like you uh-huh. very much want them to be in it with you. Buy in, yeah. And and I I like to say, uh, making that False River record that was our that was my first experience of playing with a band that knew who the songs were about, you know, and, mm-hmm. and watched me write them and informed them musically. Uh, so that was really special. And I think that is kind of the seamless element that I, I feel really, really lucky to have somebody like Jim step in and totally get that, be in step with what it is we're trying to do. And uh, and and that's it, to, to have bandmates who are buying in and going along the story, listening, you know, and... and yeah, they're right along with you in, in that way. So when did you decide, like, I'm going to do songwriting full-time? Was there a song that you wrote? Was Like, what was a defining moment that said, all right, I'm, I'm going to go this route? Mm-hmm. Um, now I was doing the open mic thing uh, in New Orleans. Carrollton Station was my, that was the one. It was Tuesday nights. There was a nice little com- community. You know, not a, I mean, we're talking a handful of people. And are you working at the time too? Yeah, yeah. Uh, after Katrina, my buddy and I were building fences. Everybody needed a six foot cedar fence, you know? I mean, who doesn't? So, right. Well, after a storm, everybody, yeah. right? Um, it was a nice summer gig that kind of lasted about a year or more. And, uh, and then it was something else that I, I that doesn't matter right now. I can't remember. Uh, but anyway, yeah, day jobs, right? Um, but yeah, so how did I, when was it, uh, music? It was, so I was playing those open mics, and this fella takes me outside, uh, you know, sharp-dressed fella. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he says, uh, hey, so I got a bar, um, you know, on Chapatulis, and I want to know um, what's it take to get a guy like you to come play every Wednesday. Uh, and I said, uh, I, did, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does it take? So 
free beer. I'm th- right. I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking. Well, I'm, I don't know. You know, every Wednesday it sounds pretty good. I'm like a steady income. I, I think I said like a uh, hundred dollars, and uh, and he said, uh, "Cool, uh, we're gonna call it two hundred and fifty dollars." Just so you know, I'm serious. And I said, "Great." So all of a sudden. I'm a musician making twelve grand a year, you know? <laughs> You're a professional. Yeah. yeah. So that was special. And then uh, a couple of gigs into that, on the break, he's behind the bar, and he elbows up and gets me to lean in, and he says, okay, uh, I knew I wanted you to play at my place, but now I've heard you a few times, and I want to know how to invest in you. And I said, I, I don't know, but uh, but I would imagine you would pay for me to make a record, and you would get some percentage of the record sales. So we went to Loyola University where I had several friends in school just then. Um, and they directed me toward a couple of professors who I got to say, I got a I got a state degree from Louisiana State University okay. in psychology, which I don't use other than subconsciously every day, I'm sure. Well, um, and probably in your songwriting. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, but I think I think the 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 schooling that I need, I got from Loyola and it didn't cost me a dime uh, by going to George Howard's office. Um, and, and, uh, and just talking to him about what to do with this investor, private investor who wanted to pay for my record. So he helped us figure that out. And honestly, it's been this beautiful friendship where, you know, he's made his money back. He bet on a pony that's still running and that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a nice element. And that, and that's, that's what made it real was he could afford to help me make a record with a producer who, recognize what I was and knew that I didn't know how to record because you guys know it's like you're you're figuring out how to write songs but figuring out how to record them is a whole new thing whole different thing whole different discipline and I'm glad I'm glad I had a producer who understood that and helped me make my first record Uh, and she had a lot of great quips Uh, Trina Shoemaker was her name but she uh, it is her name and she's she's still phenomenal and I, I would be surprised if I didn't work with her again at some point but she just had such great things to say that first um recording uh things like uh dude just know you have to make your first record you know just simple cryptic things like that that i didn't understand at the time but looking did you take that to mean like the bad pancake a little yeah exactly yeah well said it's the bad pancake and now a quick interlude about one of the companies supporting this podcast Ed, I think we can both agree that the best tasting songs are those that happen naturally. That's true. Wait, you can't really taste a song though. That part's not... That's also true of the food we choose to consume. Which is why our favorite new artist on the healthy protein charts is ButcherBox. 100% grass-fed beef delivered on dry ice to your door anywhere in the lower 48. So, does that make Alaska like the upper... Ed, just open the box. If you're into more genres than just beef... ButcherBox has you covered. They also deliver Alaskan wild sockeye salmon, free-range organic chicken. Wow, there's got to be like 11 pounds of meat in here. Heritage breed pork and special bacon. Special bacon? Special because it's free. Use code SONGDIVERS at checkout to get $20 off and free bacon in your first ButcherBox. And shipping's free too. Special bacon and special shipping. That's special. Now, can you grill as well as you can play guitar? Visit ButcherBox.com to order. So you're talking about recording. Mm-hmm. Um, 
We should bring up your most recent record was uh, no, actually, I'm sorry. The Moorings was nominated for a Grammy. Yep, and which, is not, which is not the most recent, but hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully, the new one will get some recognition as well. Congratulations uh, on yeah. Congratulations on not winning the Grammy. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. Uh, it it uh, that was Trina Shoemaker who produced that one, and she's responsible really for the nomination. It's the best best engineered album, non classical, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so I don't know. I just I was uh, I had finished a gig in Alabama, and I was crashing with some friends about to go to sleep and it was the days when twitter was a little bigger and i noticed that i had some twitter messages which i never had twitter messages you know and i just looked at some of them there was this fella from memphis who i rarely spoke to who sent me a text that said congratulations on the nomination i just figured he's got something wrong and you know then i like went to the the you know figured it out that it said that it was nominated for for a Grammy for an engineering element, and I didn't know what that meant. It seemed cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is cool. Yeah, and so I called a, a buddy in the in the biz the next day, and I said, "What does this What does this mean?" You know, and he and we agreed that we thought we made a record that was good enough that it didn't distract from Trina Shoemaker's prowess as a producer and engineer. <laughs> <laughs> Follow so, that logic. Yeah. 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 That's funny. It's an honor no matter how you look at it. Well, like, it's, you know. It's a lovely little piece of free promo. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, uh, that's it. You know, what else, what what validates you these days when everybody has a voice and it's so easy to make a record? Right. You know, you're, you get to make your art on the front, so don't make it look like shit because it'll make people think that what's inside wasn't taken care of either. Right. Um, but that's it. That's, that's. How else do we do it? There's all these little... You pay a publicist to get Rolling Stone to say something about you that, that you could copy and paste and say on the next one that had the publicist. You know, it just... Right. What, what makes it... What gives it the seal of approval these days that matters? I don't know. I think you just got to play songs for people. You know? well, well, what do you listen to now? Uh, well, let's see. What, what gets your stamp of approval? Like, uh, you I think, turn that around. Well, Raylan, who sang on the record, I think his new record is awesome. I think his stuff is awesome. Um, I I don't know of a better voice from a songwriter right now. I love Gregory Allen Isaacoff's stuff too, um, mm-hmm. and he's come to New Orleans a couple of times. We we uh, we were on the same email when he happened to be playing, so I shot him an email asked if he wanted to get together, and we you know did the did the the hang uh, and which ended at the uh, casino really late. Um, lost a hundred bucks at the blackjack table and i was like well greg it's been fun yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he looked at me and he's like dude we got to win that back <laughs> all right so we hit the atm and sure enough we won that back oh nice so um but yeah he's he's uh i i love i love his voice as a songwriter um uh michael kiwanuka i really like his stuff he's uh he's from the uk mm-hmm. and he's he's been rising for a while in the he states has, yeah. Uh, I guess his pop in the states was the Pretty Little Lies theme song, right? Mm-hmm. But man, he's been doing it for years, and he's been, you know, a, a big thing for songwriters in the UK for a while. But his star continues to rise in the states, not quick enough, in my opinion. I think his record before the last is is outstanding. I could listen to it in the kitchen and feel like I'm seventy years old and and loving life just listening to his his voice and his his tunes. I, and it's interesting you talk about the the rising star piece, especially because you are somebody who's also rising. What do you think 
or what do you see that's resonating or what are little things maybe you didn't expect that you think are resonating with audiences? What do you think's helping? You know, you mentioned paying a publicist, you know, certainly people are taking notice of what you're doing as they should, in my opinion. Um, but, but right now, state of the industry, what do you think, what do you think it is? What it, what is it? It's cause you know, generally you can do everything right. You still have to get lucky, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. There's certainly a game that you need to decide to play and it, uh, you know, the publicist is an interesting element and, in you know, to take that as a little uh, um, case study, perhaps, you know, it's how much of your investment do you invest in this thing that will take a certain amount of time to produce or to promote your new record to make people think it's worth a shit when there's so many being made? Um, how do you get it on the top of the pile? Um, and then that that just fizzles out so quickly because there's another guy or gal with a publicist right behind you, you know? Uh, so the thing that has mattered, the thing that has encouraged me is the staying power of the song. You know, when a song resonates with somebody, you know, this tour that we just finished last night, there were at least, well, one, there was one, one show. I'm sure there were two uh, shows that were just not, not well attended, you know, things that, if I was in a different state of mind, might be discouraging to me, or I would allow myself doubt to talk me to sleep. Um, but, but I didn't because at every single one of these shows, there was somebody who looked me in the eye before we played and, and told me about a tune that mattered to them, you know. And it's that sort of thing where you're going to these towns where you don't have much uh, history in the market. You're just showing up and playing for who play who shows up, and uh, and still there are people who show up and tell you that. Your songs on those streaming algorithms happen to have found their way to their ear holes, and and it worked for them. Um, so the thing that is encouraging is that songs still matter to people. I think you know they do. Yeah, I mean, we were talking a little bit about this last night, but this idea that you know we're truly in a time of changing and super rapid changing human behavior because of the way people interact with media because of how readily available everything there's so much content everywhere um you know are there some specific things that you're doing that are resonating or that you you're seeing that are effective or that you think you should be doing more of um that are helping get to those ear holes so to speak okay so this tour was interesting because a little back end uh, uh snapshot here was our agent booked the whole tour uh, and Lydia's management promoted the whole tour. Mm-hmm. And I, I, don't, I don't think that's a usual arrangement, but it was great for me because I don't have management, and usually that's just a, a piece that I'm putting together is the social media promotion element. And when I'm putting it together, I'm not, you know, I don't want to be an influencer on my phone. It's just not, uh, that's not in my, my bag. So um, it, it's not always natural, but I appreciate having somebody staying on me and pushing me to, to make those things happen. Having done that for uh, this tour, I think it's important, um, but I still think the thing that's going to work is the balance wherein the phone goes away and I get back into that routine where there's a journal every morning and uh, and I'm not distracting myself from just writing songs that happen to matter today for me. And then you know, stepping away and coming back to those and, and editing them and doing that thing. You know, it's, 
I hope it's in the forest somewhere. I don't know uh, <laughs> where it's going to be, but I need to settle into that. And this, in the same way that the emails in the morning can take over, um, I just need to um, put the distractions aside and and uh, find my little place in the hills for a little while. You know? Yeah, I think it's a common challenge. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned the streaming algorithms and all that, and how do you yeah. like uh, you know make yourself known? And so much of that is like you you said you don't want to be an influencer, mm-hmm. but in some way it's kind of like a demand right extra added demand on you know on top of everything else you've got to do so totally it's it's too easy a resource not to be utilizing somehow and i can i can manifest a way in which it feels natural i hate to use this word but authentic Uh to me you know i can i can open that door i can show you what i'm right what i'm doing there's a window that i can open there it's just I I still need it to be thoughtful, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a sense of humor, you know. I I like to cut up with the fellas. Are you um, show us that soon or no way? Uh, <laughs> but you know, and then it's there's too early. that's that's an interesting little thing that you grapple with is is uh, you're trying to play these songs that you feel are fairly serious and with with it only being three chords in the truth as. Harlan Howard once said, I really love that. Oh, yeah. You know, all it takes is three chords and the truth. You know, the three chords part's pretty easy. It's the truth part that is subjective and hard to get to. And are you fooling yourself with this tune or did you really mean it? All that stuff. Um, when you're when you're grappling with that, I, the, there's just not much play, I think, with the, well, the authenticness, obviously, but but then the sense of humor, how funny do you want to be on right. stage as a performer, right? You don't want to, yeah, you don't want to soften the blow of the message. That's, but, that's, that's what I'm getting at, right. But you want to make everybody feel comfortable, mm-hmm. the, you know. Yeah, and you want to present yourself. And if you're a funny guy sometimes, that's great. But uh, I think it works in the way that you, you know, having seen you perform last night, I, mm-hmm. think, I think that's working. Cool. I think, like you said, once the song begins, mm-hmm. it, to me it goes back to that Ralph Waldo Emerson thing. Mm. You mentioned that at the beginning, the universality kicks in, mm. you know, but I think mm. in between songs, people are ready to feel, you know, you kind of diffuse that a little bit and bring everybody back to earth and kind of make everybody comfortable. Mm-hmm. I think it helps you connect, really. I think it helps. I appreciate that. Part of that. Yeah. And, but um, in keeping with the idea that for everything that is true, the opposite is true sort of idea. Uh, I had a friend recently, a trusted colleague who, who asked me to kind of um, consider, contemplate the element of these banter pieces and ask myself if I'm breaking the spell, hmm. you know? And I think I think he has a point, and I just don't, I don't know where the, the common ground is just yet. That's, you know, it's something that I'm considering uh, is, is where where do you just let it be what it is and i think that's a song to song thing you know some right. songs are served better with an intro some songs are served better to just let let them cast a spell right after the song before you know songwriting even if it's not about you is still a very personal thing so i think there's a this element of almost if you're a, someone with humility as a songwriter or an artist or just in general 
there's you want to soften the like me 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 you know what I mean like it's all about you and so being a little self deprecating sort of says the audience like look I get it this is you know about me this is and I think softening that a little bit with humility and showing that you're a normal person a little bit of sense of humor lets the audience feel like they're in it with you yeah you know and it it almost encourages them or or puts a little bit more of a a welcome mat out for them to come and do that Mm -hmm. that's good i like that 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 perspective on it um and it's it's how could it not be true that you know i'm a gemini y'all it's like isn't that supposed to be two different personalities it's fine (laughs) um i i what what how could it be natural to to not tell the joke that happened to come up you know in my mind if if my natural filter doesn't tell me to filter it but you know then there's guys like Hayes Carl that have some funny songs but I trust that guy's writing voice like mm-hmm. anybody um I love his stuff you know so it's just it's just where, where you're where you're deciding to to how you're deciding to tell the tale where do you, where do you decide to put the camera you know is is what it's all about so i'm curious about another piece too and you know a little bit about you know we're talking about meeting people after the show but you know the show ends mm. last person says their piece to you and then now you're a moving company right you're mm. packing up your gear mm-hmm. you move on to the next thing and one of my favorite songs on the new record easy ways mm. is a tune where you're talking about being on the road you know and especially i love the fact that you grew up playing ball because i always give the analogy of you know if you're a you're a minor league baseball player, right? So let's say you go into the minors. You're riding around on the bus. Maybe you got a signing bonus, but mm. all of a sudden you end up in your late 20s, early 30s. You haven't made it to the show. Mm-hmm. You got a burnout shoulder, no education, <laughs> no money. Like you, you know, you didn't, you didn't make it. And right. I think so much, at least the, the, the traditional model of musicianship. You know, certainly social media plays a role now. But that idea of like you can do the same thing. You can go and tour and tour and tour and tour, and all of a sudden you're you know you're in your mid-30s and you haven't had any success you guys have and i'm not putting you in that category but i'm I'm curious your your perspective on that this idea of like of what what does it mean to tour now why Mm. is it important what are your fears about it what are the things you like about it Mm -hmm. um and and how that rolled into or approached easy ways Mm -hmm. because i think you talk about that in that song yeah i mean i can i can remember the days of touring with no no purposeful strategy just going elsewhere and playing shows where people told me I was allowed to play in their bar uh, for enough to get to the next place. Mm-hmm. And I remember sleeping in my car somewhere, feeling less than safe, but, you know, that's the adventure. And <laughs> But also having that check-in moment where you're just telling yourself, yeah, but this is where I need to be. This is what I need to be doing. And I don't have any doubt about that. Until, and, until you get to a place where it does feel like there's these elements of encouragement that are just, you know, little little jet propulsion elements that are just keeping you off the ground, and suddenly you have this trajectory that is going upward somehow. Um, Do you have any where you were starting to nosedive, and then that yeah. that propulsion mm-hmm. hit? Yep. Um, I think the most memorable one was uh, just having the agent and the manager jettison on the same in the same week you know and it it had it had been uh tough to come up with an agent and look i'm at this point i'm pretty good at booking my own shows but you Mm -hmm. know what you're not doing when you're booking shows writing songs right um 
So I just, I really needed for the sake of balance to figure out how to find that teammate who could help me with that element. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad to say that I have now, but that, that was my first agent. And, uh, I, you know, there were things about that relationship that didn't work Mm -hmm. and, uh, they cut the cord before I did. And, uh, you know, that was okay with me. Um, except for the fact that it was the same week that the manager and I got together as friends really. And wrote down on paper what a manager should be doing and recognizing what we what weren't getting done. And it only took him a couple of days of contemplating that to say, you know what, you're right. I'm not, I, this isn't a role that I can do. Mm-hmm. I can't fill this. And so that was amicable and fine. And But to kind of just be, that was right before releasing the moorings. I'm sorry, uh, the False River. So, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of booking this release tour on my own and, and feeling like I'm not maximizing this opportunity, which when you're coming out with a record every couple years then it was that was four years between moorings and and false river so i'm just feeling like i've got this this bullet in the barrel that i've worked so long for but there's now i just lost all the Mm gunpowder powder and and it feels like an eternity right oh totally and for a fan it felt like 10 years yeah there you go um yeah i just that was tough and i needed to check in with uh i remember saying to myself you know i just need a win I need one win right now. I just, I was feeling dark and my girlfriend said, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the win is just you checking in and, and, and reminding yourself that the win is just in you. And, and I needed to hear that. It was kind of perfect. Sounds like a good partner. Yeah. I, you know, it came together in time, but that was a space where I did. It was that, it was another one of those sleeping on the side of the road and wondering, what the hell am I doing? And then you, but you have an answer for that. Well, this is what I'm doing. You know? So I think what's really amazing about that is there's a few things that are threads through your songs, and I and I wonder if it's because of the same generation, and and we've shared a lot of history, but but a lot of my friends of the same age range share a lot of this. But certainly there's a, a romance through everything you're doing. Definitely mm-hmm. a romantic element. Um, this idea of like re- reluctance in some of your songs, like Heart of a Man, almost sounds like. Look, I want to be here, but something else is calling me. Mm-hmm. Um, in this idea of just trying to figure it out mm-hmm. and, and not knowing where to settle, but you said something that really resonated with me just now, which is like knowing this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so few people, I think, especially artists or, or creative-minded people, really struggle with that. Like just having the confidence that this is where I'm supposed to be, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and not constantly thinking about the next thing or or second guessing it. And so I think that in itself, to her point, like that is a win. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's often intangible for me. Um, I, I didn't choose to be able to, I didn't choose to have a voice that's believable, uh, you know, like a, a, vo- a vocal that you can believe in. I just happened to be able to sing, you know, with a timbre that's approachable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's what you're singing about too, though. Totally. But, you know? but you know, there are these, you need in- all the elements. Yeah. There are these intangible things. This is your brushstroke and somehow that feels good to folks. And, and then you start to hone things and you can, you can own a little more of the craft. Um, so, um, what were you getting at there? I had a train of thought. <laughs> Just <clears throat> this idea of, of coming into your own, in songwriting but but knowing like knowing where you're supposed to be and that being that being the win there yeah and and i think the content worked for me at the time and it still does this idea that the 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 righteous man would stay with this woman who is so good to him and like loves him unconditionally well 
almost right um but somehow i'm not doing that even though my logic tells me the righteous man stays here there's something inside that can't and i have to talk about that i think i want to write songs about imperfect love because that's what love is absolutely um and we need to talk about it that way because truth is the only way that we're going to get there uh and and our partner is the person that we need to get the closest to the truth with but then there's this element where i'm doing this confessional thing where i'm letting that truth go into streaming platforms right. <laughs> well but it's almost like you said that you used the term responsibility earlier uh-huh. but there's to me there's a couple groups of people right there's the people that um they rationalize they say this person is good to me loves me virtually unconditionally basically unconditionally and like i'm good i'm good let's lock this up mm-hmm. Move on, and we'll do the next thing you know and then there's the other group of people that that need a credible brushstroke but but need your songs to validate how they're feeling to say this is part of the human condition for the people that think and feel this way yeah you know? and like and truly like i heard your songs at the right time going through the same type of thing where mm. you have something that just doesn't fit right and maybe that same thing fits right 10 years up the road you know in that yeah man that's that's something that you that's that's what the heartbreak renders i think for you forever the the scar, if you will, mm-hmm. is, and it's a bittersweet one, is just to reminisce about, I guess you say what could have been, but I think you're exactly right. In fact, to bring it back to baseball, I remember my mother uh, nailed it this one time. She says, well, I come back, and the other first baseman, right, he's, he's uh, you know, he's a little more macho, but, you know, he just decided... Dime a dozen. Yeah, decided to be a prick this day, and, you know, it's not like he's bullying me. He's just, he's just being crass and like it's bothering me mm-hmm. and uh, I get home and I'm throwing my stuff around and Ma's like what's wrong dear you know mm-hmm. um, and I said you know man other first baseman he's just he's such a prick <laughs> and she says well you know sometimes some people just aren't ready interesting and you know I took that I took that straight to that relationship because my my mother loved her uh i took that straight there to know that you know what sometimes some people just aren't ready and i think it it offers such humility for when we're frustrated with people we 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 have to turn that lens inward and realize there's something i'm not ready for this person's not ready to be uh uh reasonable to me this morning at the bank but you know what I'm not ready to settle down and be a partner or, you know, whatever it is. (laughs) Right. Um, So that was, that was it. You know, there, we are all on different schedules and we just have to check in and be honest about that, I guess. So liken that back to, and bring that back to easy ways. Uh So this idea, there's also a romanticism of being out on the road, right? The unknown, the adventure, and how much yeah. of that is in that song, and and how much of that do you feel or do you enjoy, or is that sort of like, yeah, that was good for the first couple of years, this idea of being on the open road, and now it's, is it draining? Do you look forward to going back mm-hmm. to it? It's a nice cyclical, healthy thing. It feels like right now where we're on the road long enough to miss home, and then home is New Orleans, and you go back there and you fall in love with a different angle of it, and there's so many, and it's beautiful. And then you're there long enough that you miss the road again, and you get back out there, and the, mm-hmm. and the same is true for the road, right? Um, 
so yeah, I still love it, and certainly Easy Ways was was inspired by a, a very beautiful moment, objectively beautiful moment of driving through the Midwest. I think it was it was a desert, you know, and the, the fellas were asleep in the back. We were doing one of those all-nighters, you know, from California to Texas or something. Mm-hmm. And the sky was incredible, and it was only me seeing it just then, staying quiet so the fellas can sleep, but also knowing that we're experiencing that together in our own way. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first line is what I jotted from that, you know, the idea that I really love the idea that the mountains I were seeing they were such a rough little edge that you could totally picture it. The more that you stared at it, you could totally see it as a page torn. Oh, I love that know, lyric. On the, That's cool. Yeah, it's such a great lyric. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I still I still love that. And it's just the only way you see it is with your eyes on the horizon too long. You know. <laughs> well, and so there's a there's a solitude in that song too. You know, you can he- oh you can almost hear it in the way it's written. It's your chord choice, and but there is there's a that. that solitude element to and and just kind of reflecting on where you're at but you're also i i want to talk about and and i'd love for you to play this one for us if you if you Mm -hmm. are cool to do it but at the end of the song you start to sing this line nashville johnny you can get your start you can buy the hat you can play the part these days that's the state of the arts and i everything about that i love and i'm curious Mm -hmm. if you can break that down a little bit because i i read into that like this commentary on the industry of just like mm-hmm. so many people are contrived and literally just want to buy a hat, take photos of themselves, put it on Instagram and play three chords, Yeah, you know, but I don't want to speak for you. Yeah. You know, I think that's in there. And I think, uh, I think I hesitate to, uh, to make these sorts, these sorts of like protest statements, but you got to own some of it, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, that's all in there. And, uh, I remember I, uh, I was opening for somebody from Nashville mm-hmm. and I had just written that song and I loved it <laughs> and I, I played it. Um, and you know, you don't always remember exactly the content of the tune. You just remember the feeling or yep. the place that you go to when you close your eyes and you sing it. But then when I opened my eyes, I kind of remembered the Nashville Johnny part and I looked out on the sea of people who are there for the Nashville act. You know, I'm, I'm the opener. <laughs> the guy's literally wearing a hat on the side of the stage. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, Come on, man. And, uh, and, and so I kind of like, I tried to like, you know, play it off a little bit. I said, <laughs> you know, that thing about the uh, Nashville Johnny line, you know, I think what I'm trying to say there and somebody in the front row gracefully, graciously cuts me off with like a shout out. He just goes, everybody knows a Nashville Johnny, bro. Oh. And, you know, it's like, great. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks, Vinny. Um, but that's it. I think awesome. I think we can all get I, you guys doing this sort of thing it can be frustrating when you feel like uh you're really trying to distill something or put um put some real time and 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 flesh into what you're trying to do and uh and what's being received maybe in the mainstream doesn't feel so costly to the people putting it out uh but thus is the nature of art and entertainment entertainment they are not mutually exclusive but they are also not the same thing right um and that's okay we have to make our peace with that yes um so the that's my that's my retort but i'm also totally okay with hats 
Yeah, nice. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm okay with hats. I need a hat. I Are you selling hat. Andrew Duhon hats? Uh, maybe you should think about that. You know, that's really tough, the whole merch thing. So I got t-shirts. Mm-hmm. That's That happened about two years ago. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you have a band name, that's a lot easier. As soon as you think, you're, think of your band name, you should make t- stickers and t-shirts. It's your band name. Mm-hmm. No one has to own that. Mm-hmm. But then when it's your name, that's weird, man. It is. So... The t-shirts are there, and people buy the t-shirt, so that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, then, it, then you start thinking about what other merch makes sense. Lighters, knots, too rock and roll, koozies. Mm, feels a little college. Um, <laughs> you, you know, maybe like a blankie uh, or a pillowcase. <laughs> you know, you just like, what's cozy? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, but uh, that's all the game, right? What, what, what am I trying to say with all of this? Well, we mentioned. Um, easy ways and we talked about heart of a man mm-hmm. is there either one of those something you could feel like playing or singing yeah not today bro early yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i tell you what I, we have a guitar tuned to heart of a man but not to easy ways do we just want to do heart of a man let's for ease man. it doesn't matter no it's either one. Man. okay good yeah. totally, cool. totally. Yeah. one second fellas
Nothing tears me down Oh, Westwood Is the only way I am bound Only the fuel for the fire that surrounds me Oh, it's gonna take a woman like you Who knows I can't slow down A woman like you To wrap her love around me To hold on and point the way Thanks, y'all. I love the live fade too. Nice, thanks. The yeah. band's pretty good at that too. Like, uh, <laughs> been working on that. It's hard yeah. to pull off. Everybody wants everybody wants to fade, but the thing is, you just gotta fade. You can't be the 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 top of. It's almost like you're playing the game where you're putting hands on top of each other, mm. but it's opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to be the loudest thing. Like, who can be, who can be the third loudest instrument constantly? You know, <laughs> I often ask myself that. <laughs> yeah. Andrew, are you a, a lyrics first uh-huh. or a music first, or which we found is the front runner right now among our guests, title first? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I totally get the title idea because I do like a good pun. Mm. So you know, I'm I'm a sucker for Nashville kind of songs. So you know, the that just go with go with the idea that you already get when you hear the title. So I I'll do a fair amount of that. But, but you know, also I feel like I'm starting to shy away from that too. So where is it going now? It's like, it is that paper mache thing. It's the little scraps of pieces that you're picking up and you're putting them together and you're starting to shape a mosaic that you see the likeness come at you and you realize that even though they came from different places, they came from you and the likeness is you. Mm-hmm. And it's just the truth that you probably weren't ready to talk about, but now it's there it is, and mm-hmm. let's let's get after it, you know? That sort of thing. Andrew, how about favorite gig you've played? Favorite show? I've been going to the UK for the past, I don't know, 10 years, but I'm, you know, only, no, well, I've missed the past three years, so I've only been seven times or so. But one of the first times just... I like to say I just go over there with a backpack, a guitar, and a dream, you know. <laughs> um, but it's really, it's a great trip because, you know, it's the UK is the size of Louisiana, and it's got trains everywhere. So it's a great solo trip. And, uh, you know, uh, so that one of the first trips, I'm, I got a show in Glasgow, and I don't know much about it. I just know it's called St. Andrew's Square. I know I'm opening. The folk club is called St. Andrew's Folk Club. And I got an address of one St. Andrew's Square. So I take the train, figure out where St. Andrew's Square is, because, you know, your phone doesn't work. Um, Get to the square. I'm, you know, probably five minutes late for sound check right now, so I'm a little little on edge trying to get there. And I make my way... all the way around the square and I can't find one St. Andrew's Square. (laughs) 
there's nothing. It was the Star Folk Club. That's what it was called. Little did I know that folk clubs in England are kind of like book clubs. They're just names of groups of people who convene at places. There is no Star Folk Club as a brick and mortar. It just convenes at places. This time it was convening at one St. Andrew's Square, so I kind of had that cinematic moment where I was putting this all together, and then, like, the angels started singing, and I looked up in the middle of the square, and it's this tall, beautiful medieval cathedral in the middle of the square. And so I walk up to that and open these, you know, 80-foot doors. And sure enough, there's guys setting up mics on the altar, you know. Uh... And I walk up, and am I in the right place? Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, this is it. You know, sound check. And I open for a fiddle player named Tom McConville, who was playing the English and Irish folk songs, beautiful stuff. And I, I know that the cadence from those tunes inspired me to write The Moorings, which is the title track on the you know second record, mm-hmm. um, which was also a good story because I loved that tune, and I was proud of it, and I was proud to bring it back the next year to the U.K. You know, look, look what your folk music has inspired me to do that cadence just doesn't come from the american songbook you know um and and i you know it's still a well-received tune but i I had a a fella i think he probably had a wool sweater on by a fireplace he took me by by the shoulder and he's you know said lad in his english accent it's a beautiful song um really enjoyed it uh the melody sounds strikingly familiar to me like a song i know called the Bonnie Banks of Loch Lomond. <laughs> <laughs> That's also one of Ed's favorites. <laughs> I mean, and so I didn't know the tune, and I, I had Bonnie, to look it up. Bonnie Banks of Loch Lomond. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Uh, so I looked it up, and you know, it does kind of sound like the melody era. <laughs> so then I'm like, well, did I hear, did Tom McConville play that song? I don't know, but if he did... Here's to the fluidity of folk music carrying forth, you know. Yeah, Um, that's really funny, Andrew. What do you uh, What do you got coming up? Where should people go see you? Where should they look for you? Mm. What's your What's your plans? Well, uh, from here we head on home to New Orleans, and then it's festival season. We got French Quarter Fest and Jazz Fest and all the gigs in between. After the festival. What's nice is you play all these shows in New Orleans, and then that market's spent. All the tourists leave after Jazz Fest, mm-hmm. and then it's going to get oppressively hot in New Orleans, so it's the perfect time to get out of town. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll head up to Chicago and back after that on a May tour. And then it's Colorado, and then I think we need to get to uh, Colorado's July, and then we need to get back to the West Coast maybe in September, I think. Cool, man. Well, Andrew, listen, man, we appreciate you doing it. I love your stuff. Thanks, um, man. Really You're good at this. Hey, thank you. Yeah. And Thanks. also, thank you. you got a really clean bathroom and a well-behaved dog. You're really crushing it. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm renting the house and the dog just for this. Uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah. um, come back and see us, man. We really appreciate taking the time to do it. Thanks for visiting Florida, playing for us. Sure. Finally. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yep. We'll see you soon, man. You bet. Bloody red sunset over the Nevada mountains Pretty as a pastel torn across a rough edge Oh, look at me now I'm lost and broken down
been listening to Song Divers. Thank you for supporting us and our sponsors and all the great independent music makers out there trying to make their way in the music business these days. Songs we heard in this episode were Coming Around, No Man's Land, Heart of a Man, and Easy Ways, all from Andrew's latest album, False River. If you want to hear more of Andrew Duhon, find him on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere you get your music. I recommend songs Shelter You Through and Just Another Beautiful Girl, two of my favorites from his earlier catalog. And please don't miss a chance to see him live. Andrew, Miles, and Jim do not disappoint. They play Jazz Fest in New Orleans, May 4th, and then hit the road again. Check out andrewduhon.com to follow the tour. Song Divers is a production of Ybor City Records and recorded in the historic Kenwood district of St. Petersburg, Florida.